Right now, let's go talk about Michigan, Michigan State Saturday night at Spartan Stadium. Jim Comperoni, SpartanMeg.com, the MSU Insider, is standing by on the Roast Umber Coffee guest line. How you doing, Comp? Hey, Bill. Great to be on your show. Thank you. All right, Michigan State, how they bounce back from that fourth quarter collapse. Also, the sheer fact that they had wins at Iowa, even with all their issues on and off the field, still had wins at Iowa and Rutgers there for the taking. That could have set them up to make a bowl run, even with the Mel Tucker uh, fiasco. How do they get ready? I know the rivalry, it's easy on Michigan-Michigan State week, but how do they find a way to try and beat the number 2 team in America? Yeah, that's going to be very, very difficult. You're right. I mean, they had the Iowa game in their hands, had the Rutgers game in their hands, did not finish, uh, mistakes of their own. I tell you what, last week at Rutgers, for the first time I saw Michigan State kind of freeze a little bit. When things started going south, it was like, oh, crap type of situation. Instead of just taking over and, and, and just you know, getting the foot back on the gas, collectively numbers of players just started short-arming it a little bit. The first time I've seen that, that's worrisome, of course. Yeah, they, you know, they, they know they've lost these three games, Maryland, Iowa, Rutgers, and they've not won because of a talent deficit. You know, they, their talent's similar to every team in the Big Ten from number four to number 12, pretty much, right? Um, avoiding beating yourself is, is, is a big part of it. They've not been able to do that. So they think that they're close to beating these teams. They know that they were steamrolled by Washington, but these are athletes. You know, a lot of these athletes at this level, they grow up winning. They expect to win. Uh, they felt that they competed with the Michigan favorably last year for three quarters. So, you know, they, they've got uh, confidence that they can put together a good week of practice, go out and compete because they're athletes. That's what they do. Um, they've not seen, you know, Michigan this year yet. Um, the reality might be a lot more stark late Saturday night than it is right now. But as of right now, getting back up for this game, I, I, I suspect they will be able to do that. I just don't know, um, you know, how long they can stay in it. Um, uh, but uh, they believe right now they're young athletes. You know how that is, Bill. Yeah, you know, nothing to lose. I mean, Michigan is a 25-point favorite rolling in to East Lansing on Saturday night. You know, I'm really curious how Barnett, because his biggest job isn't getting the team ready to play. It's trying to keep this program together. What are you hearing about the team chemistry? Because they really look good in the first three quarters on the road at Rutgers and got off of weather. What are you hearing behind the scenes uh, over at Spartan Football? You're right. Very difficult job. And it's something that he's, you know, pretty qualified to do. And has a personality, you know, someone that can get people together really on a spiritual level. And he's a guy that can rally a room and get a room believing in him and, and, and keep them together, which is not easy when you get a fired head coach two games into a season. You're right. When they went to Iowa, they were an 11-point underdog and played really well out there and, uh, you know, lost that one in heartbreaking fashion, had a bye week to let that soak in for 13 days, which was not comfortable, came out against Rutgers and played well again, right? So he's had the touch to do it so far. But one thing that I wrote after the Rutgers game is that Harlan Barnett's got to be running out of things to tell this team. And he's he's got a few more cards to play. Everybody can get up for an in-state rival and, and do your best then. But, you know, like going on the road and playing Minnesota the week after, we will see what they look like at that point. Uh, It'll get even tougher. I mean, right now, if you're a Michigan State follower, maybe even a Michigan State player, it feels like the season is almost over, and it's only six games in. I don't don't want to speak for them, but I suspect some of that could be uh, coming home to roost real soon when you figure three of your last 
six games are against teams ranked in the top seven in the country. Mm. And also with the rivalry, and you get a Saturday night national TV at Spartan Stadium if Michigan uh, rolls them like a 40-10 to 10 game, I like you said, the season does feel like it's over because you, you, you didn't win Iowa Rutgers if you lose against your rival bad. Because I think there is a moral victory if they play the number two team in the country tough and take it into the fourth quarter. But you're looking at it a really lame duck second half of the season for MSU. That includes what was going to be a special Black Friday game on Peacock at Ford Field. Absolutely. And with this team and their talent level, like we talked about a minute ago, if you had a lot to play for, you can go out on the field and beat Minnesota, beat Indiana, beat Nebraska, get to six and six, something like that. But, but, um, you know, Nebraska with a first year head coach, they are going to be, I would imagine, remain a lot more connected. It's easier for Matt Rule to keep those guys connected. Maybe that Harlan Barnett will be able to keep his team connected here the, the rest of the season for Michigan State. But Barnett's, uh, he's, a, he's an interesting personality. He really is. He's intelligent. He's likable. Like I said, he spiritually connects on these guys in a lot of ways. He's rallied the coaching staff together, which is not easy. You know, sometimes uh, coaches kind of go their separate ways at times like this. I think that uh, for better or for worse, he's kept them connected. Sometimes I think maybe he should step forward and have a little more veto power on things, coaching decision-wise, as you would expect a head coach to do. But I'm not sure he's wielding that right now. But, uh, you know, keeping it together, keeping that will, which is so important in this sport because it's a grim sport. I mean, it's a sport of collisions and getting people to, to win collisions within the construct of a team concept. That's easier to do when you're 9-3, and 8-4, and 10-2 and two, than it is when, when the wheels are falling off the season. So a lot more challenges to come for Michigan State. Jim Camperoni, SpartanMag.com, the MSU Insider, joining us on the Roast Umber Coffee. Guess I'm, uh, who, who do you think, if you had the list of top three candidates, realistic candidates, uh, to become the next head football coach at Michigan State University, who would be on that list? One, two, and three. You know, that resume keeps changing. Uh, the list, I think, changes a little bit. I, I've detected some of the coaches that are were on the initial list of interest, um, and that's going to continue to be fluid. For example, I mean, we all remember 1999. LSU did not know that Nick Saban was going to become their number one coach basically until November, right? You know, until they rallied at the end of that season. They go nine and two. And prior to that, he'd been a 500 coach. So some of these resumes are still being written. Now, Jonathan Smith, number 12 in the country at Oregon State, he is going to be at the top of the list, um, you know, pending what happens for the rest of October and into November. He's done an excellent job there. On offense, they run a style of offense. They'll go under center, multiple tight ends. They'll run, you know, power concepts between the tackles. They'll also spread it out. They need to tighten up their defense a little bit more, I would say. You know, just a week or so ago, you know, Jake Dickert at Washington State looked very interesting. They went out and they were destroyed by Arizona. So now all of a sudden, I've not detected that he's a candidate yet, but someone to keep an eye on is Jed Fish at Arizona. He's four and three. He's in his third year there. You know, at Arizona, he took over a program that Kevin Sumlin had really destroyed. Um, Sumlin's last year was the COVID year in 2020. They were 0 and 5, Arizona was. Their last game, his last game, they lost 77-0 to to their rival Arizona State, and he was fired. That's what Jed Fish took over, and they lost players in the portal because that's what happens these days. First year, 1-11, which is exactly what Kirk Ferentz did his first year at Iowa. 
similar to what you know Frank Beamer did at Virginia Tech and Snyder at Kansas State, and on and on and on. Um, then last year, five and seven, and then this year, tough schedule. They gave Washington a tough game, lost by seven. They lost USC in overtime two weeks ago. That game was scored twenty. That was twenty-eight twenty-eight at the regulation triple overtime earlier in the year lost overtime at mississippi state they went out last weekend and destroyed washington state number 15 ranked washington state 42 to 6 so what's arizona got going on there i mean jed fish is the guys you might remember wide receivers coach passing game coordinator for harbaugh in 2015 2016 office coordinator ucla office coordinator nfl um this is his first coaching job he's still only like 45 46 years old you may remember back when he was in his 30s he was considered a young, young, young and up-and-coming offensive mind. Well, this is his first head coaching job, and all of a sudden, this month, that the job he's doing in Arizona is interesting. If they go out in two weeks and beat Oregon State, Jed Fish becomes an interesting candidate. But right now, Jonathan Smith is interesting. You know, Mike Elko is someone that everybody wants out of Duke. I'm not sure how interested he's going to be, but those would be three that would be very interesting at the top of the list right now with a lot of games still to play. You know, Jed Fish is interesting uh, that – you would bring back a guy that has the Big Ten roots from his time in Ann Arbor. You then combine the four Pac-12 teams coming. He's familiar uh, with those programs and has West Coast recruiting roots. That's the first time I've heard his name, Jed Fish, and I think that would be a fantastic hire by Michigan State. Out of all the names I've heard, that to me, I don't know if he's a legitimate candidate. There is Dave Heakey, who has the Michigan roots, the former CMU AD, who is at um, Arizona. So there's there's a connection there. And Fish, yeah, you, you get the best of both worlds. Pac-12, Pac-12 recruiting roots. You bring a lot of your coaches with you to Michigan State. They pay him well, uh, fairly compared to other Big Ten coaches. And there you go with the new look Big Ten next year. I, I really like that. Out of anything I've heard, post Mel Tucker being fired, that name to me, Seems like a perfect fit if he's interested. That's why I'm here for you, Bill. Comp, way to bring it. I appreciate it, my man. We'll talk, okay? All right, talk to you later. Thanks a lot, Jim Comperoni, SpartMeg.com. Yeah, Jed Fish.